We are in Luke chapter 2. We're reading verses 39 through the end of the chapter. It's a familiar story today, but we're going to be focusing and remembering this story, maybe particularly on this Father's Day. I'm going to ask you if you would, would you stand and honor the reading of God's Word today? This now is the Word of God. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word today. And you may be seated. I thank you also for being a part of our kind of a little mini-series that we began on Memorial Day. is going to finish up next week as we've been talking about uh, archaeology in the New Testament, digging deeper, helping us to understand Jesus better. So we're discovering more about Jesus. We're kind of taking this off of the Vacation Bible School theme, and so we've got this week, and we're going to finish up this little series next week. As a matter of fact, next week, I'm going to share with you what most biblical archaeologists believe is the most important find uh, concerning the New Testament. We'll talk about that next week. I know you can't hit, wait, man, and you'll bring others, and we'll be excited about that. But for this week, let me show you this picture, if we could. This is believed to be, by some, to be the childhood home of Jesus in Nazareth. Some believe that this was the childhood home. Now, those of us who are students of the New Testament, we have heard the name Nazareth, but Nazareth was really a small town a small village that uh, probably not much was known about, certainly in Jesus' day. And we know G Jewish people were living in Nazareth because they had a synagogue there. It takes 10 men or 10 families in order to organize and have a synagogue. We know that Jesus went back and visited Nazareth at least one time, maybe twice in his uh, three-year ministry. One time he came to the synagogue. He read scripture from Isaiah and he proclaimed that he was the fulfillment of that prophecy, claiming to be the Messiah. And you might remember the people of his hometown tried to kill him because of that. So Nazareth in Jesus' day, maybe a few hundred people at the most. It was not a place you would go to or go through to get to someplace else. Like a lot of small towns in Alabama, you'd have to be going there to get there, or you'd really just have to really be lost. And but in Galilee, with the stigma of not the most prominent or well-educated people, you might remember Nathaniel when he was told by his friend Philip about Jesus of Nazareth. Philip said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yet this is the place chosen by God for Jesus to be raised as a commoner. Now this home discovered underneath a covenant. First it was discovered in the 1880s, but not really excavated until around 2000. 
6, it would be just an ordinary dwelling place carved out of limestone rock. Since this is Father's Day, we'll say that this must be the man cave that they had there, but uh, I didn't get near as many chuckles out of that as I thought I would. But, uh, but why would anybody think that this was the childhood home of Jesus? Well, it was a place that was uh, well cared for for a long time and after the death, burial, the resurrection of Jesus for a purpose and they, almost as a monument, they could tell. And then there was a church, a uh, Christian, not a church, but a Christian house that was built above it, you know, and they talk about archaeology, there are levels of things. So there's a, a Christian house built above that. And then there's another house above that around the time of the Crusades and then under and then the convent after that. So certainly we don't know, but it makes a strong case for protection. So we don't know that this was Jesus' home. It's a small town, so a small village really, so it wouldn't have been uh, far from that. But it gives us a picture anyway. Well, Luke, in Luke chapter 2, paints for us an even more important picture of home and family of Jesus at the age of 12. Now, as a kid growing up, I read the Bible when I was a I began to read the Bible when I was a kid, certainly not all of it, but I probably knew just enough at an early age to get me in trouble. I remember one time when uh, maybe I was in my preteen years and I had not been where I was supposed to be or I had not told my parents where I was supposed to go. And I remember once I was discovered telling my parents, said, well, Jesus didn't always tell his parents where he was. And, uh, and then my dad said something like, son, uh, if you ever walk on water, feed the 5,000, heal the sick, cast out demons, down across and rise again, then we'll talk. But for now, you're grounded. Well, we don't have one recorded word, speaking of fathers, we don't have one recorded word of the stepfather of Jesus, Joseph, in the Bible. But, but I kind of like to think, I hope it's okay on this day, to, I like to think Joseph maybe was a lot like my dad. And Matthew, Matthew says that he was a righteous man. Uh, we also find that his words or his actions spoke much louder than his words. We make it even picture Joseph in the story in which we read. Maybe after the three-day search and finding Jesus saying something like, well, if you walk on water, feed the 5,000, heal the sick, cast out demons, die on the cross and rise again, maybe we'll let this slide. But Joseph doesn't say that, does he? Even though Mary asked Jesus why, they knew Joseph and Mary knew from the angels' visits before. They knew nine months before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. They knew from more angels that visited after Jesus was born, from the shepherds and the star, the wise men, the prophecies fulfilled. In the first dozen years of living with Christ on earth, Jesus was no ordinary person. Yes, they knew that He was the Messiah. Now, we're not told much about Jesus or His family life after He leaves Bethlehem, except that they lived in the small town of Nazareth, had several half-brothers and sisters, and Joseph was a carpenter, and they were probably very poor. It's the only story that gives us the best glimpse of what Jesus was like or what family life of Jesus was like when He was a child. It's an important story for us in knowing about Jesus. It's also important understanding what Jesus might would teach us about family life. So here's what we're going to do this morning, these next few minutes. We're going to ask questions that maybe families are asking and we're going to find answers of how, what the Bible teaches and maybe what Jesus would tell us. So here's questions and answers for your family. And the first one is this. 
How can you help your family to discover God's will? Or how can you discover God's will as you're searching for God's will? As we talk about the family, we want you to understand that it, whether it's a one-person family or multiple people or blended or traditional, non-traditional, whatever we might define family today, we want to know that the Lord has answers for us about discovering His will and doing what is pleasing Him. There are lessons to be learned in the faithfulness of Mary and Joseph. They knew that Joseph or that Jesus was the promised Messiah. Now they couldn't know that all that was involved in that or all the things that were going to be happening or maybe even the exact kind of Messiah that he would be except for what we get as clues from the Old Testament. But we're told in the Bible after the birth and happenings in Bethlehem, the fleeing of Egypt to escape the killings of the babies by King Herod, many prophecies were fulfilled and they went back to their hometown in Nazareth. Now, in Nazareth, we probably could picture maybe a loving home, which would be conducive to the maturing process of Jesus. Now, think about that, the maturing process of Jesus. Without this passage, and perhaps some that where Paul talks about the, uh, what Jesus had given up in order to come and to be able to live amongst us, we would, might not think of Jesus as necessarily maturing or that he came perfectly he was perfect, but he came knowing all the things that he needed to know. But we're told by this passage that he grew in wisdom as well as in stature. And he grew in favor with God and man. Now the word favor in verse 52 comes from the same word translated grace. God's grace was personified in him and of course he loved people. But the more he grew, as a matter of fact, the more people loved him. But, but you need to know that we're... We're walking a fine line here and I never want to step over that line because Jesus has always been Jesus, even before creation. He is eternal without beginning or ending, but He allowed Himself to become like us in every way in order to identify with humanity. He never stopped being God. He faced temptations just like we face temptations, but He never sinned. The same thing could not be said of Joseph nor of his mother Mary, but they were the ones chosen to parent Jesus. And they did some things right. Did you notice in the, some of the scriptures we just read? Verse 39, it says, When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they were seeking to do everything that was required of them as Jewish parents. And then verse 41, it says, Every year his parents went up to the feast of the Passover. Now, so the evidence is... Evidence is that they were doing everything that they could. We know that they were not perfect, but they were doing everything that they could to provide the proper home for Jesus. They went to the Passover in Jerusalem every year. It was a requirement that every Jewish male within a certain radius was to come to Jerusalem for the Passover. Women were not required to go, though many did. Uh, while all Jewish men were to go if they could. But Mary and Joseph, they could have made a lot of excuses. It was 50 miles straight way from Nazareth to Jerusalem and most roads went around Samaria so it was even longer than that. That's a long way to walk or maybe even ride a donkey to get there. And they were people of humble means as a financial burden for the two-week trip. I think of the many reasons you could have thought not to be in church today but you came anyway. But they went to the Passover every year not knowing exactly how Jesus' life would unfold but they were faithful to set the stage for whatever the future would bring. Now look at the application. We do not know the Lord's plans and how it will unfold in coming days. You may be here today and you may have little clue about God's plan and purpose for you or your family or your children, but let that not be an excuse. 
Instead, let it serve as an incentive to be sure to allow God to be at work in you and in your family. I am uh, often asked, speaking of questions maybe that family or parents ask, I'm often asked, should I make my kids go to church? I mean, uh, if they really don't want to go, should I make them go? And then usually the next question comes, will it make them resent the church more with later in life if I make them go now? Well, first of all, let me tell you, know that we want to, we are working hard to make this a place to where everybody wants to be of all ages. That you want to be a part of what's happening on Sundays and Wednesdays and all the events that are happening in the life of the church. It's a place that you want to be and the kids want to be and that you want to be not just here, but you want to be a part of the family of God and all the things that are happening. But here's the answer. Do you, should you make your kids go to church? Do everything that you can so that you don't have to make them go. Go with them. Don't send them. And parents, in this case, our attitudes about church says as much or if not more than our actions. If all you do is talk about the negative and put down the church, well, that's likely going to be the attitude of your children. Make sure a positive experience happens for you and seeking to have a positive experience every time that you attend. You want to be involved in what's happening with the church so that your children want to be involved and more likely uh, to be uh, excited about making relationships in the church and remember of course, the, give them the reason for coming, and that is first and foremost that we want to glorify our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But if all that does not work, for children that you're providing food and shelter and iPhones and your first car and their Xboxes and you're still making other decisions for them, make this also a non-negotiable. But setting the stage for God to do His work is more than just church attendance. It's through genuine worship. And serving with other believers, it's the reading, studying of God's Word, and praying daily, reaching out to others, and ministering in the community in Christ's names. In other words, it's doing the things that you know to do and that you know that pleases Christ. Do you know why you should know? Do you know why you should want to do what's right? It's not so that you hope that God's going to grant you some favor sometime down the road. If you do good, God's going to be good to you. It's not so that you might pay God back somehow. It's so that you might know God's plan and be able to use, have opportunity to be a part of His kingdom work. And so, so that those close to you might be able to discover God's will. We want to do what is right because of the good news of Christ who died and rose again in order to provide the gift of salvation. So here's our, how can you help your family discover God's will? How can you discover God's will? Here's our answer. Be found faithful. Love Jesus more every day. Be faithful in what you know God's will leads your family and yourself to discovering more about Him. Now, perfection is not a requirement for discovering God's will. However, the more you draw close to Jesus, the more you want to please Him, the more He's going to reveal Himself to you and He's going to open doors of opportunity to be able to have influence over your family, over others in the community and be found faithful as you grow in your love for Jesus. So here's our second question. What can you expect when Jesus is the focus of the family? What can you expect when Jesus is the focus of your family? I had an opportunity to attend the uh, Southern Baptist Convention this week and, and in spite of maybe some news and media reports, the meetings and the messages, the reports and resolutions remain for the vast majority and for the most part, all Christ-centered. Southern Baptists are still the largest Protestant denomination in the country, and 
There are more than 14 million who claim to be members of Southern Baptist churches. Now, I heard this statistic. There are more Southern Baptist churches in our nation than there are McDonald's, Subways, or Starbucks combined. And the work of the Great Commission through God's church continues through Southern Baptist and many other denominations who are Bible-believing, Jesus-loving people. And while I may or may not agree with every decision that is made in our convention, I'm glad to be a Southern Baptist and even more happy to be a member of the Parkway Baptist Church. Speaking of restaurants, after one of the meetings that went later than it was supposed to go, and I was uh, getting kind of hungry. And, um, I do what you do probably most Sundays, maybe more so the second service, but I began to think about what I was going to eat as soon as the service was over. And... Uh, so about a city block from our meeting, there was a Hattie B's Hot Nashville Chicken. Have you ever heard of this place? And uh, so I, I, I had my sights set. So as soon as it was over, I was heading toward Hattie B's Chicken. Uh, 16,000 Southern Baptists were in attendance. And I guess what I didn't think of, what are Southern, most Southern Baptists doing after the meeting? They're all going to eat chicken. So the uh, line to get into the restaurant come out of the restaurant and wrapped around and down the block. And after some hesitation, many of us got in line uh, for, the, uh, for the chicken. And uh, something happens when you're in line for a long time, I guess, and sometimes you get to know people around you that are also in line. And uh, two couples in front, one from Wisconsin and one from Nevada, Neither of them had anything to do with the convention. They were just there on vacation in Nashville. Behind there was a pastor, an associate pastor from Waco, Texas, that were at the convention. Got to know them. And I wish I could tell you the whole conversation, that, uh, but time does not allow. But before we finished that line and left the restaurant, the couple from Nevada who were not Christ followers had heard the good news of the gospel. She was originally from the Philippines, and he and had been raised Catholic, but in her words, I have long since left the church. He was retired military. She did most of the talking. One of her objections, as we talked about Jesus, was uh, we don't know, never didn't know anything about Jesus until he, you know, suddenly appeared when he was an adult. And I began to tell her about this story about where he was raised in Nazareth and he went to the temple. Now. She has an accent from the Philippines. I have an accent from L.A., Lower Alabama. And so, uh, so she thought I said that he was from Nashville. So we had a little bit of understanding. I said, no, he's from, from Nazareth. And, uh, but, I, but even while telling that story, I thought at that time, oh, I may preach on this on Sunday. And, and they, were, they were super friendly. Asked a lot of questions and allowed me to share the difference Jesus made in my life. But still not sure that they were ready to put their faith in Jesus. But I told them any time that they could ask Christ to forgive them of their sin and ask Jesus to come in before leaving, ask how I could pray for them. And she said, pray for his health. He looked a lot older than, looked older than, excuse me, than she did. Don't tell him if you ever run into him. But, uh, and then she said this. She said, pray that I'll be open-minded. As if to say, pray that I can believe and she wanted to believe. Narissa and Paul. Narissa, kind of like Marissa, but with an N. It's okay if you whisper a prayer for them even now as they've been shared the good news. And I believe probably it was one of many gospel conversations that took place 
perhaps in Nashville through the convention and continue to take place. God will surprise us when Jesus is the focus. Mary and Joseph found out life with Jesus is not business as usual. Things are different when Jesus is in the family. They traveled today's journey when they found out Jesus was not with them. Throughout the day, they thought that Jesus was with the other group. Oftentimes, traditional women would travel ahead, and when men got through doing business or fellowshipping or whatever they did, they would catch up, and they would get together that night. And so they thought that they were with one another, and perhaps, and uh, so found that Jesus was not there. Do you know that we're like Jesus' family in this way? Can I tell you how many children get left at church simply because you bring two cars sometimes? But, uh, but thank goodness you always come back. Well, Mary and Joseph had to travel back to Jerusalem, and we can only imagine what they had to be thinking. Here's Jesus. Is he lying in a ditch? Did he get, you know, did he get uh, attacked by robbers or wild animals? I mean, today a missing child could mean the worst, but consider Mary and Joseph... The Savior of the world is missing. A decade before, King Herod had already tried to kill him. Two decades later, another would succeed. They had lost the Messiah for three days at age 12. Notice verse 48, where we read, it said that they were in great distress. And then they found him, apparently in a place that they were not looking or did not expect at first because it says that they were astonished. And verse 46 says, After three days they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, Listening and asking questions. Now we don't know how many places they might have looked before they found him, but the three-day search probably included two days of travel and what Jesus had been doing for three days. Well, now they knew and it even says that they were astonished. So here's the answer. What can you expect when Jesus is the focus of your family? Expect the unexpected, but trust Jesus more. If Jesus is part of your family, if Jesus is the focus of your family, if you follow Jesus, it will not be business as usual. There'll be unexpected twists and turns along the way. Jesus warns us life will not always be easy. Being a disciple of Jesus is not for the faint of heart. He wants to move us to be a family of people who will be more like Him. So Jesus is going to be at work around us even when we are unaware. You know, Jesus, and you've heard the phrase, Jesus accepts you just the way you are. But He doesn't leave you there. He's working to move you, to make you into the person that you need to be and the family that you need to be. Jesus is seeking always transformation and He wants to give you opportunity to be able to influence others. Now, there's another reason you expect the unexpected. If you follow Jesus or seek to place Jesus at the center of your family, it's because Satan is at work to destroy the family, in particular the Christian family. The idea of a traditional family, that definition maybe has certainly changed in this country or it's become a rare commodity. And a Christian family seeking to be a part of kingdom building can be expect to be under attack and face real spiritual warfare. Some of you know exactly what that's like. Some of you it may sound kind of scary, but if you believe it to be true or, or if, you, if you have experienced it, it, it actually may be an indication that you're on the right track. But praise God, greater is He that is in me, meaning Jesus, than he that is in the world. And if Jesus is the focus of your family, greater is He that is in your family than he that is in the world. Now, how do we combat these attacks of the family and be an influence for others? And Well, that leads to our third question. How can you keep your family focused on Jesus? 
when, when Mary asked the question, why have you done this? We've been searching. Pause for just a moment because we have the first recorded words of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Luke is the keeper of the family photo album. He's the one that tells us about what happened on that first Christmas. He tells us about the first visitors to Jesus in Bethlehem, the first family trip to Egypt, and now he tells us that they've moved back to their hometown. He records the coming to the temple, and, and he records the first words of Jesus. Not the first words ever, but the very first ones to be put into the book of books. And what are the first recorded words? What's the subject matter? It's Daddy, or it's Heavenly Father. Not about an earthly father, but about a Heavenly Father and His house. Verse 49 says, Why were you searching for me? Jesus asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? The King James says, I must be about my father's business. Jesus' first words will help keep you and your family focused. As you read this familiar story, some of you read it many times. Have you ever had questions about this passage? I mean, did Jesus make a mistake? Did he have a lapse in judgment? Let me put your mind at ease. Let me calm all your fears. There is no sin by Jesus or even an error of a 12-year-old in judgment. Luke always stresses the humanity of Jesus as well as His deity. In His humanity, He seemed startled that they were looking for Him. They said they were anxiously searching. That had to be the greatest understatement in the Bible. But in His deity, He was fulfilling His purpose and revealing His own identity. Now, this is the first of many musts by Jesus, M-U-S-T. I must be about my father's business. I must be in my father's house. When, one time when Jesus was with the disciples and he was having much success teaching, preaching, and healing, many were coming to him. Jesus gets up early in the morning, goes off to pray. The disciples come looking for him and they say, Jesus, we'll just get back to people looking for you. And he said, I must go to other towns. They didn't quite understand. When he came and they were going down the road and they come and the, the choice is most Jewish people didn't go through Samaria, but when they come and they go, begin to go through and Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. Later in his ministry when they were seeking to kill Jesus, he also told his disciples, said, I must go to Jerusalem. They didn't quite understand. And then later he says, more than one time, he said, the Son of Man must be turned over to evil men and must be put on a cross and three days, it must suffer, but three days on the, be put on a cross and three days later rise again. And still, they did not understand all that was taking place. Sometimes there are some must that take place even in your life or things that Jesus must do so that we might become more like Him. How appropriate this is in our busy family lives of getting it all done, squeezing it all in. Satan loves to keep us busy. Even at church sometimes, if it means stacking one thing on top of another and forgetting what is most important. Our Lord is the number one advocate for the family. But even that is not what's most important. It's a relationship with the Heavenly Father through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and being about His business. He puts everything else, including family business, in its proper place. God's people are to be about God's business. What was Jesus doing in the temple? We've, we read it just a moment ago. Was He standing and teaching? Now Luke paints the picture that He's sitting listening, asking questions, albeit they were astounded at his answers and understanding. We need to find ourselves also teachable and at a place where we'll be learning more and more about the most important there is our Father's business. So the answer for the third question, how can we keep our family focused? Don't get distracted. 
and be, be determined to discover Jesus more. Discover more and more about Jesus. Now, our fourth question is, what about when you do not understand or about how or why things are happening or family life has not turned out like you had planned? Verse 50 says, we read it on your screen, it's there. Verse 50 says, they didn't, they didn't understand. Most parents, after missing a child for three days, would have been frantic, maybe started with a hug and then moved to a scolding and maybe a grounding. But if nothing else, they knew that Jesus was not like any other 12-year-old and there was a purpose. What did Mary do? Well, she did what she always did. She treasured these things in her heart. She remembered and accepted them as a part of God's divine plan just like she did at the birth of Jesus, just like she did during Jesus' ministry at the foot of the cross and at the empty tomb. Mostly, she accepted and acknowledged whatever Jesus did was a part of God's plan. Aha! That might be a key. Accepting and acknowledging that whatever the Lord does is part of God's plan. Now, we may not understand all that happens and even all that God does or allows to happen, but acknowledging that God has a plan and a purpose and accepting that as part of living by faith. Understand, God does not cause everything that happens. He certainly does not cause every bad thing, but He's always at work for the good in the lives of all those who love Him or are called according to His purpose. As we've looked at Jesus and His family today, you may be saying, I'm no Jesus. And my family's not like his family. Well, neither is mine. But what an opportunity for God to demonstrate grace, mercy, and love on you and yours. And what a privilege for your imperfect family and my imperfect family to be a testimony to others of what God can do with people like us, families like ours, as we grow in Christ. If not in stature, then in wisdom and in favor with God and man. Neither your family nor fam my family will ever be perfect, nor will we be free from problems. But there's a world that is watching who need to see the difference Jesus makes. My, uh, my grandparents on my father's side were not churchgoers. Uh, my dad was taken to church by an older sibling, and sometimes by a neighbor, and there he learned to love. He loved church, and he found, and he loved Jesus. My, my dad was called into full-time vocational ministry when he was really, really old. He was like 35 years old. I was about eight at the time, and I thought, my dad was a senior adult. He better get started. Uh, not going to have much time left, but he did serve for 30 years. But come to find out, he'd been doing ministry all along. He just started doing it as a vocation. My grandmother, who was a hard-shell Baptist by, by membership, died when I was a preschooler, so hardly remember her. My grandfather became a believer and was baptized at the age of 80. My dad did not have a spiritual legacy in his family, but he started one. Of my mom and dad's family, all of their children and their children's spouses and their grandchildren and their grandchildren's spouses and now all the great-grandchildren who are of age are born-again believers. So that's three generations, not to mention the generation of his brothers and sisters as well as his dad. For I'm thankful that my heavenly father's business was also my earthly father's business. It was Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus' business. And I pray that it will always be mine. Will it be yours? 
when you don't understand or when your family's not that turned out exactly like you thought that they should have or that you wanted, what's the answer? It's pay attention and watch Jesus more. Allow God to be at work. Watch God work through you as you seek to follow Christ and are intentional allowing God to shape you in who you need to be. Love Jesus more. Trust Jesus more. Discover Jesus more. And watch what God will do. There may be someone here today who needs to give their heart and their life to Jesus. Can I tell you that God wants to do amazing things in your life. If you're here today, you're watching live stream. God wants to do wonderful, great things in your life. If you don't know Him as your Lord and Savior, don't put it off. You can remember Father's Day 2021 that you prayed and you asked Jesus to be your Savior and Lord. There may be individuals or families who want to join this church family. We give you many ways to do that. One way is when we come to the end of this service, you come and simply let me know and we'll let the church know and we'll go from there. There may be some who need to commit their families, dedicate your family to the Lord today. You can do that privately right where you are. You can come today and have an opportunity to come and maybe kneel at our altar and commit your family today. You come and let me know and I'll be glad to pray with you, even share with others if you would like. You may need to keep a godly legacy going or you may need to start one. Best advice that I could give young people Older people, everybody in between, is to begin investing in God's kingdom now. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we had to come and be a part of worshiping you. We thank you for all that's taking place today from our baptism to our singing your praises to our prayers have been lifted to the proclamation of your word. We pray that everything, Father, has been directed towards you. But now, Father, we know that you want to work in our hearts. We pray, Father, that you may lead us to make the commitments that we need to make for our fathers, for our men, for our women, mothers, sons, and daughters. That no matter what, we know that you can help us to begin to invest in the kingdom so that we might be able to leave a godly legacy wherever we go. Thank you for how you're going to be at work. We lift these prayers up in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.